Welcome to the latest episode of the Next Report podcast. I'm Thomas Holbrook II. I'm Mitchell Brown. And I'm Zach Dotson. Okay. Um, right now, there's, again, to let people know, there's been a bit of a change. Uh, one of the things, one of the beauties about doing this type of stuff is if you have free time, all the free time in the world, you can pull it off easily. But if you have a job that you know, throws a lot of stuff your way, it's gonna, it, things get a little difficult. Uh, Steve had to step away from the podcast for a while. We'll see if he comes back or not, but the door is always open, and what he's contributed thus far has been amazing. Uh, at the, at the moment, just, you know, life and everything else, it happens. So, hence why we have a new person on today to discuss a group that they had started at UCM. Uh, Mitchell, you know more about this. You were the one that covered it um, for the Mule Scanner. It was published on the Digital Berg as well. So I'll let you take this part from here. Right. Um, regular listeners probably know about a very the group the Vienna Circle mentioned on the air, and of course the infamous blunder on the behalf of the genius editing staff at the Mule Skinner and somebody and it was founded by Brandon Christian, but someone who's also been instrumental in the group is Zach Dodson and whenever Steve left I put out a call for a co host to fill his spot and Zach volunteered to be an acting co host. Uh, you can go ahead and, and introduce yourself and tell us how the Vienna Circle came to be. Um sure. Um my name is Zach Dodson, like we already said, um I'm Currently, I'm a graduate student in uh, speech communication at the University of Central Missouri. Um, last year, it's already almost been a year, that uh, Brandon Kristen, um, another um, fellow communication student, uh, graduate student in the um, communication department at UCM, uh, approached me um, about um, creating the group, the Vienna Circle. He initially had the vision of creating, in a, in a phrase, kind of like a one-stop shop, um, academic um, program for students. Um, he and I both saw... But on an extracurricular level. On an extracurricular level, yeah. Um, originally, uh, we both kind of um, have seen a relative decline in um, the intellectualism of the UCM student population. Um, I'm not sure if it's by design or if it's just by um, attracting different students from different backgrounds. But what Brandon and I saw was that overall... Um, the amount of projects that were being churned out by students, um, the quality of those projects were on a decline. And so what the Vienna Circle wanted to do originally was kind of reinvigorate intellectualism back into UCM students. Um, when we started meeting back in the fall of last year, uh, we were kind of a small group, um, probably only about five to ten students really, and we met um, 
about every week, every other week, to discuss um, all sorts of different topics, ranging from philosophy to politics to ethics. Um, but we've even branched out into discussing issues such as science and um, and social policy. Um, lately, uh, we're trying to um, create some more projects as part of the Vienna Circle. I uh, just got a chance to speak with Brandon today, and he and I both um, are trying to put together um, several different programs, um, one of which is to actually start hosting um, debates between students and professors on campus here this fall. Um, that will That's going to materialize um, here uh, pretty soon as Venus Circle will start um, uh, preparing the paperwork necessary to become an active student organization on campus, be able to request funds, rooms, so on and so forth. And we've had um, the privilege of working with a lot of um, professors already within the communication department who have all but um, fully signaled that they're willing to help out the Vienna Circle in any way possible. A question I had, if you said the part of the catalyst or impetus for the creation of the group is Brandon seeing a lack of intellectualism among the students at UCM, what particular factors do you think led to that decline and when did you personally start noticing? Um, some of the factors uh, that we, we have talked about in the past have been um, several different policy decisions um, that the university administration has taken. Um, it, it was pretty well documented several years ago that UCM attempted to plug um, an $11 million plus dollar deficit within its budget, and that's partly because of state funds have been kind of receding in the last uh, five to ten years. Um, and the costs of um, facilities and things of that nature as we attract more students are only going to go up. And so uh, with that in mind, um, Brandon and I saw more and more students coming in in which um, was a consequence of those types of um, ideas becoming issues for the university. And the university needs to be obviously um, breaking someone even <laughs> in order to keep the lights on. So in times like that, sometimes universities relax academic standards in order to admit more students. Um, Do you think that's what happens happened recently? I'm not sure. Um, I, I've, I'm obviously just a graduate student in, in the communication department. And so um, I, I don't have access to all the information that, that obviously the university administrators who are making the decisions have. But um, just from a year-to-year -year basis, as I transition from being in the political science department at UCM to in my graduate years being more heavily involved within the communication studies department, um, I, I've seen that. Um, uh, a lot, there's, there's been a lot of frustration that I've heard from students and professors alike about how when they have, you know, reviewed material that students have put out, it's been steadily declining. I'm not sure if that's uh, just a cultural shift in terms of academic standards of UCM or whether that is more along the lines of we just have so many students coming in and quite frankly not enough professors in order to teach the classes, so classes, courses, or courses are becoming larger and professors are feeling the heat from it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, going to the communications department regarding this group and the goals that are wanting to be accomplished, have you gone to other departments such as the philosophy department, religious studies department, even the political science department, 
And if so, what 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 has been the response, if any? Um, Brandon and I specifically haven't reached out to a whole lot of departments yet. Um, the reason why we haven't really done so much of that work yet is because we we really have, um, at least in the initial phases, we were really um, focused on the impact of communication within our culture, whether it's communication being brought from mainstream sources, alternative news sources. So we really uh, tried to galvanize support from the communication department first. Um, a couple of really good uh, professors who have been on our side from almost day one have been um, Jack Rogers, uh, the current department chair of communication, and um, the current graduate coordinator for communication, Carol Atkinson, um, both of which have been um, have, have taken our cause to either professors or administrators. And from what I've heard so far in uh, who they've taken this to, um, we we have full support from UCM in order to bring this organization to campus. Uh, quite another question I have is it's very, you know, communication-centered and centric as far as the membership of the group. Uh, it seems like it seems like a majority or just a large section of the group of people who are the talking mules debate team, yourself included. What do you think it has the ability to reach out on a wider level among communication students? Because a lot of the attitudes I encounter from communication students, they could care less about some of the issues that the Vienna Circle focuses on. So how do you think you could, could further spread it out in the department, or is that even possible? Um, I think it is possible with any um, with any organization that has a lot of members from one academic department. Um, some of the initial challenges that those types of organizations face is attracting students from across different departments. Um, fortunately, um, uh, uh, fortunately, we have a pretty strong membership and pretty diverse uh, cast and crew within our ranks. Um, we have several uh, people who are on the debate team of a communication organization, but share non-communication majors. Um, we have um, so we have a couple of students who are in the political science department. We have several of them that are within um, the sciences, um, uh, specifically within chemistry. Um, so we have a we have a growing eclectic group of people. Um, we would like to try to get um, students from all departments um, to contribute to the Vienna Circle in any way that they can. Um, we've had um, several students from the art department talk about um, aesthetics, uh, philosophy of art. We've had several students talk um, when we discussed the topic of euthanasia. We had our chemistry students taking the position of bioethics, um, bioethical approaches to addressing difficult questions like euthanasia. Um, so I think we have um, quite a bit of um, uh, strengths within our ranks and the ability to reach across different departments. Um, as I said earlier, um, we try to, when we develop topics for our regular Vienna Circle meetings, to try to create kind of a diverse range of topics. Um, well, like I said, we already talked about euthanasia. We also talked about gun control. We talked um, about, um, about mass media and what its potential impact is on um, not only Americans, um, but also um, international media and what that does to people in terms of providing frames of reference. In terms of the discussions that you had, you clearly have had many on on some issues that are controversial, other issues that 
at first glance may or may not be, depending upon one's perspective. How does how does the whole process work? I understand it's more of a formalized process. Uh, walk us through how something like this would function. Um, the way that our current meetings um, happen when we get um, our people together is that we typically have three rounds of debate. In the first round, we give everybody um, five minutes to declare their initial thoughts on the subject. Um, provide um, the group, if some of the group members aren't familiar with topics, give them some kind of orientation as to what are the, some of the terms and, and phenomena that are occurring um, with this topic. Once everybody um, takes their turn to um, give their initial thoughts on the topic, we go to a second round of debate. Um, this round of debate um, allows speakers um, one at a time to either offer points of rebuttal, um, to clarify their current positions, or to pose questions to particular members of the group. Um, at that time, if their questions are posed to other members of the group, we just kind of wait until it goes around the circle um, to get to that person, and then, then they can address the question. In the third round of debate, uh, Brandon and I have uh, just kind of called it the free-for-all, where um, where everybody is allowed to ask questions um, in a not necessarily non-organized manner, but not as organized as the first two rounds, to be sure. Where um, as long as um, as long as everybody gives each other the ability to communicate their point, um, we take turns back and forth. So it's really instead of the, uh, your typical political organization that you know it seems like a lot of banter back and forth and a lot of interrupting. Uh, the Vienna Circle strives to maintain um, the highest level of respect with regards to people being able to express their intellectual beliefs on the subject. Uh, the second, another question that I had was, how do you think that you could uh, recruit more members? Because right now, what's the number of the membership? It's like 20-something, right? Yeah, we have um, about 23 members right now. Um, we uh, And that's just purely off of word of mouth and Brennan and I talking to a lot of our friends and trying to get them involved. Um, again, we've had contacts with the debate team, with the political science department, with communication, um, with chemistry department and stuff like that. So a lot of our current members are really just the word of mouth and, mm -hmm. and trying to foster those contacts. Um, uh, once we are able to get onto campus, I think that would dramatically increase our visibility. Mm -hmm. Right, we'll be able to request funds, be able to allow to have um, posters advertising our student organization on campus. So at 23, I mean that those are pretty solid numbers already for any student organization, and um, with increased access to resources from the university, I think that that would definitely help. Is there a possibility that when the fall semester starts up, recruiting like the recruitment fair or something like that, uh, to have a table? Of yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think one of the conditions to be involved with the recruitment fair um, is to be a recognized student organization on campus. And if um, if we're able to get the paperwork together and submit it and be approved as a student organization, um, then we're able to do that. Brandon and I talked today about making sure that we had all that uh, material ready. That way, on day one, when the fall semester starts, we can submit it, and then we can try to get into the recruitment fair. As far as... Another to address the idea of you know, potential recruitment or public perception. 
Uh, my first episode on this show, of course, I talked about what was printed, which I see as a form of disrespect, if not slander, towards the group. Had, had did that faulty headline in the Muleskin, did that affect public perception of the group or anything that you heard or any sort of thing like that? Um, in a way, certainly. Um, when something, when a student organization is starting on campus and their visibility is low, what visibility and attention they do get has to be positive. Um, any any deviation from that um, spells doom and gloom for the beginnings of any student organization. And so uh, when you know when that unfortunate story came out in the Mule Skinner um, with um, the the mistakes made within the headline and um, oh, pull me out here the, with ca the, the caption, caption yeah the caption uh, the photograph. Um, a lot. The people who heard about the um, article um, suddenly, every time uh, I mentioned anything about the Venus Circle, I get a snicker or two, and um, and it's very difficult when stuff like that happens to attract any sort of involvement outside of our organization. Mm -hmm. um, because the group, it isn't a joke. It's focused on discussion of serious issues, be they political, philosophical, theological. You said even branching out. Into the sciences, right? Um, these are, I mean, these are very difficult topics that are being addressed in academia now, um, very seriously. And um, for a student organization that has the aspirations of talking about these topics, producing papers about these subjects, and hopefully attending conferences where we can present our findings and our papers that we've written, it's 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 very disheartening uh, that that all, uh, students who who may have been on the fence about joining the Vienna Circle are suddenly dissuaded from joining our ranks. Do you think that creates another hurdle as far as growth is concerned? Uh, do you think it still ex that hurdle still exists? Do you think it's subsided since that's been? Posted? I, I think it's I think it's considerably subsided. Um, the 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 good thing about being a student organization on any college campus, especially at a four year institution, is that the people uh, you know one fourth. Theoretically, one fourth of the readership graduates, so uh, and they they move on, and so either out of um, just um, just churning out students and and you know having a summer between um, a summer off for people to you know not think about the Venus Circle or or anything the Muleskin is writing about um, certainly helps. It's definitely a hurdle to be sure, but it's one that, um, Brandon and I have been, um, taking on bit by bit. And with our current projects that we're trying to create, um, we think, we're thinking that it'll attract a lot more students and ultimately, um, we'll start seeing some excellent results and more students being involved, um, with our organization. Now, earlier you said that the, the genesis of the group was, uh, declining intellectualism among the students, and you said you can't, you feel you're not at liberty to exactly pinpoint what is the root cause of that. Is it social or cultural from the students? Is it structural from the university itself? And the, and the question I have is, if it is indeed structural, how much uh, change can, can the group have? It becomes sort of like a, a David and Goliath type of battle. Sure. If if looked at it on on those terms, it it could be very very daunting to take on structural issues that are that the university is facing, um, especially if it's um, structural, or especially if it's 
um, affecting cultural issues such as the intellectualism of the student body. Um, luckily, um, we've been working to, uh, kind of indirectly with the administration of UCM, um, either vis-a-vis -vis professors speaking on our behalf at meetings, either department meetings or um, or like the faculty senate and things of that nature. Um, we've been working um, diligently to um, make sure that we have the, the right contacts and then eventually the, um, the resources necessary in order to rebuild our image on at UCM. Even with the article being um, posted um, or being published by the Mule Skinner, our membership um, hasn't declined. We, uh, we try to keep track of our membership pretty diligently. And of our, uh, we originally, when we created our Facebook page, it was shortly before the Mule Skinner article posted. And everybody who we've talked to about um, the Mule Skinner article as it relates to their potential membership in the organization have all but expressed their, um, their resolve to stay with the organization. So, yes, it affect, uh, the articles and, and, and working through the structural issues are hurdles, but our current membership and I think our future membership will, uh, will definitely help out. As somebody who was a part of a smaller campus organization, one of the things that have been witnessed throughout the semesters, fall semester generally, there's great big interest. In some cases, rooms may be packed, but then as finals are hitting, attendance of meetings drastically declines. How do you intend to address that? Um, Brennan and I have been um, attempting to create a paper program um, as a part of our Being a Circle organization. And what this does um, is that it allows students to, um, like, like we did last um, semester when finals were approaching, we decided um, as an organization to um, meet after finals for whoever was available. Um, with the paper program that Brandon and I are designing, we're trying to get students that during the summer months to stay involved within um, academia by writing articles, writing papers, trying to get their professional presentations ready. Um, we're, uh, I think we're on course to getting ready to launch that, um, certainly by fall, uh, fall semester and day one, trying to get that um, ball rolling. We also have other projects that we're trying to do that fit around other students' schedules. Um, like uh, Mitchell said earlier, a lot of our membership is from the debate and forensic team, and um, it's kind of a good and a bad thing that on Friday, Saturday, Sundays, typically, that they're off doing very well uh, at a tournament, because um, it, <laughs> it gives Brandon and I a lot of time to um, create um, different ways to attract more people. But what what we do with like the debate team and other people who have very busy work schedules is that we try to have those meetings earlier in the week. That way, you know, weekend plans don't um, get into, um, don't affect membership. Uh, we also have um, created our own Google Drive for our readings and our articles. That way, who, students who can't participate in the meetings themselves can still get um, access to some of the topic literature we're talking about on their own time by accessing articles, readings, uh, additional presentations, um, through our Google Drive account. Who would you say, as far as personality type, or if you could create some type of archetype, who is the ideal member 
and from what department do you think that it could be best best be recruited from? Um, we, uh, it's difficult to say, um, uh, especially because a lot of our efforts, again, have been kind of concentrated with working with the communication department. Um, again, I took I, I turned to people such as Dr. Carol Atkinson, Dr. Jack Rogers, who have been um, fully supportive of of the actions that we're trying to do, uh, both within the department and trying to be a student organization on campus. Um, uh, Dr. Atkinson um, uh, has been with us largely since day one, since the inception of the Vienna Circle, um, and has offered us a lot of advice in terms of becoming a student organization, um, how to maintain membership, how to um, how to effectively manage um, uh, the various projects we're trying to do within our organization. Um, so they, they have been absolutely instrumental in making sure that we're staying on course and that we're constantly progressing through uh, what we're trying to get accomplished. Since, since you bring up how the mem both the membership and a lot of the support you've gotten from faculty is uh, within the communication department, do you think the change, because those who are in the department, either students or staff, know about the changes that have gone on and how it's affected the department. Do you think that those changes can either help or hinder membership in the group, group activities, or neither, or neutral? I mean, what's your, your take on that? Um, well, several years ago, uh, um, there was a significant amount of professors in our communication department that retired. I think it was a total um, of six. Only yeah, one six. Great big swoop at the end of 2011. Yeah, um, and a lot of a lot of our uh, very excellent professors. I had the privilege of being in class, such as you know, Dr. Uh, Dr. Baker, um, Dr. Uh, e. Sam Cox. I mean, those those are very heavy hitters that. Um, and they you might not have had classes with him, but Ron Paul. It sounds like I'm saying Ron Paul. That's not it. His name is Ron Ron Paul. R O M P A L. He was from India. I think I think he was from India, and he had done. Uh, I had the privilege of taking a global media class with him. He had done journalism in like 30 different countries. Yeah, and a lot of these a lot of these professors who retired, a lot of them were um, were heavily involved uh, with. Um, uh, um, linguistic studies and, and, and rhetoric, and so when those professors retired, we have kind of um, a, a chasm open up within our department, and um, there we've, when that chasm opened, we also saw a large increase of students who are very interested in public relations and marketing and journalism and stuff like that. No, and you so, really haven't seen the journalism people. <laughs> it's the PR people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly PR. Um, UCM has always been pretty popular with PR and, and journalism when the university um, shook up Actually a lot of its... Actually had a journalism department. Uh, shook up a lot of its departments and kind of consolidated or really just gotten uh, rid of a lot of classes and majors. Then um, we saw two things happening. The, the professors who were... Uh, trained within rhetoric were retiring so those students who are focused on on like critical studies on language studies and stuff like that were now left at somewhat of a disadvantage um, Brandon and I kind of foresaw some of these professors retiring already such as Dr. Baker um, and we really wanted to try to bring that back into the department um, through the Venus Circle uh, if we possibly could um, a lot of our topics from even from day one to present day, um, explicitly reference 
how language is constructed by society, what the impact of that language or those frames of reference are on particular people, and what are particular ramifications if kind of taken for granted and included within political discourse on a national level. And so, although a lot of those professors have retired and a lot of that material um, has gone with them, we try to make sure that those students who are more focused on rhetoric and, um, and mass media on a critical studies level are still able to get access to that material. Do you think that the changes you talk about, the sort of shift from rhetorical studies and whatnot to more of a, a huge sort of glut of, of PR-centered studies, do you think it'll stay like that and that'll continue to grow? Or do you think there's a chance of restoring some type of balance? Or do you think we're looking at the future of the department? Um, well, the, the well, at least with communication, the I think communication is the the nature of it. The game of communication is changing, right? I mean, 30, 40 years ago, when we we're talking about a couple of elite um, uh, media agencies basically controlling the gate of information, then you know uh, it, it it was like that at one time. But now, when we're focused on how messages are crafted. Um, the potential impact of alternative sources on mainstream sources. There's been a lot of emphasis placed on on making sure we have public relations people to um, uh, public relations people who are crafting those messages for organizations. Um, with use with the communication department is taking that into consideration, and they have attracted a lot of PR students. UCM has always been pretty popular with regards to public relations and attracting those students. Um, that number of students I think is just only only going to continue to grow as we add um, different public relations style um, which is one reason projects. why I'm glad that I'm graduating soon. <laughs> um, we have uh, Terry Kakanen doing um, some stuff with business communication we had um, Dr. Drew Moore who's doing stuff with uh, sports communication not just sports communication but he does broadcasting in yeah general. he does he does broadcasting uh, broadcasting I, I want to say at least did or is doing some stuff with journalism as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Or at least he was. I don't know about now. I took a copy editing with Joe Moore. Um, and so those the number of students in those um, types of sub departments are all, are is just going to continue to increase. The challenge that um, the UCM communication um, department is going to have here soon is um, is a shifting um, within communication to look at more critical studies style. Of um, of academia, and that involves uh, moving away from um, strict quantitative to looking more at qualitative narrative style studies. Um, and in the couple of classes that I have with with professors like Donna, uh, Dr. Shauna Tropp, who um, I think left last well, she's, she's year. She's gone too. Yeah, yeah. she. Yeah, um, Dr. Baker. I I was lucky in my early graduate years to um, to be exposed to that information, but um, now, uh, now it seems like a lot of those classes are declining, and I'm not sure whether it's a consequence of professors um, not teaching those courses, or whether it's a consequence of students not being interested in those courses, um, being more guided towards public relations and stuff like that, because they believe that's where communication is going. Now, uh, one more question, because it's about time we get to wrap this up. Um, have you considered the 
possibility of going beyond campus as in forming an organization that goes beyond campus, expands to other campuses, becomes an organization unto its own right. Um, Brandon and I have, uh, when we're, um, you know, pie in the sky thinking, <laughs> we, uh, we have reached out to um, other organizations um, throughout the United States. Um, Brandon um, probably has a little bit more detail on that because he's been he's been the spearheader of um, those operations. We've talked to people on the West Coast about getting stuff started there. Um, I'm going to be uh, going to law school at UMKC, so when I leave UCM to attend uh, law school at UMKC, I absolutely intend on carrying the projects of the VC with me. Um, in fact, it, uh, um, I, I've also um, talking uh, spoke to um, several members of the UMKC um, speech and debate team, and they uh, they absolutely again love the idea of the VC, and they want to try to get something started um, at UMKC, similar to what's happening at UCM. Well, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to uh, be with us today, man. That is this is some riveting stuff here, and obviously. Uh, Mitchell had the insight to make the suggestion of having somebody from the group itself on. And welcome to the team. Oh, thank you. Um, for those of you who do not already know, thenextreport.com is our website. Um, view it for show notes. Our social networking bar is at the top of the site. I'm Thomas Holbrook II. I'm Mitchell Brown. And I'm Zach Dotson. Entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself, and have a wonderful day. The intro to the show is from J.T. Bruce's Plunge into Hyperreality, a part of his album Dreamer's Paradox, available under Creative Commons at gemendo.com. Any other content used in these podcasts are used under fair use. Thank you for listening, and feel free to check out thenextreport.com.